We're really cool. You can be cool too. Come and buy our product. Hello, listener, and thank you for joining us for episode 99 of Good Copy, Bad Copy, the B2B copywriting podcast. It's so good to have you with us. This month, we're talking about using emotions in your B2B content, and Paul Cash will be telling us why it's not enough for your B2B brand to be competent. It needs to be likable, too. My name's David McGuire. I'm creative director at Radix Communications, which is a B2B tech copywriting agency. And I really am delighted to be joined by a brand new guest co-host for this episode. It's B2B marketing's Propolis Hive expert for CX, which is easy for me to say. It's Barbara Stewart. Barbara, welcome. Thanks, David. Thanks so much for having me. I'm very excited too. It's a a topic that's very much at the heart of uh, my passion. So thank you. Oh, no, thank you for coming and agreeing to to do it. So you're a Propolis Hive expert. What's one of them? I am indeed. I lead the CX Hive. So my role is very much to help. There's um, approximately 100 currently um, different B2B marketeers that are in my Hive and they have a multitude of needs and advice and support. And I get to basically every month host events to help them understand frameworks, different methodologies um, that they can be using, such as CX metrics or how to get buy-in from CEOs. Um, And it's very much focused on giving them practical advice or listening to each other and learning from each other. So it's a lot of fun. How does it feel having to introduce yourself as an expert? (laughs) I do not like it. I refer to myself as a practitioner. So I do from strategy to deployment. So the word expert, oh, it's yeah, it, it's always unsettling. I like to avoid yeah, kind it. Of, they, they called me an expert. I, I didn't they, say that. Yeah, I didn't ask for it. You know. I believe you. Thousands wouldn't. <laughs> so uh, could you please perform your first official duty as co-host uh, and tell the listener how they can get in touch with us? I certainly can. So, listener, if you have any comments, questions or suggestions, you can contact the show by email podcast at radix-communications.com or on Twitter. R-A-D-I-X-C-O-M, Radixcom. Apologies, because in Northern Irish, the word Twitter is hard to hear in my accent. So sorry. Our guest this month has a lot to say about emotions in B2B marketing, doesn't he? Yeah, he absolutely does. Uh, Paul Cash from Rooster Punk. He's the author of Humanizing B&B, with a Z. Uh, and when I saw him speak at Ignite on the importance of likability for B2B brands, I just thought it'd be really ideal for this episode. Uh, so I was delighted when he agreed to chat. And I started by asking him, well, hasn't emotion always been part of B2B? What's changed now? So I don't think it's new, new, for sure. Um, But it's always been on the fringes of B2B marketing, as you say, hiding in the background. I think it's more a question of how and where it appears that has changed. So much of historical B2B or industrial marketing, you know, was heavily reliant on emotional selling. The good old-fashioned sales rep with his expense account with his company car would win deals based on his ability to charm, win over and schmooze the, the traditional B2B buyer. 
And, you know, B2B was a relationship game. And emotion was the primary technique to get a foot in the door and expand from there. So, you know, I think obviously the internet, SaaS business models, the shift away from sales, obviously trying to, you know, cut out costs from the process, the digital customer journey now being everything. Actually, the emotion has gone out of the process and brands haven't necessarily filled that void. You know, instead they're doing what they always do, which is sell product, lead on features and benefits and expect everything to be rosy. Um, And that to me is where the opportunity is. And that's where we're seeing this kind of change um, as far as I'm concerned. So what kind of emotional responses does marketing need to pick up with now, you know, that sales would have provided? What kind of emotions do we need to key into? Yeah, so I think, generally speaking, evidence exists to support the fact that brands that show up in a a positive, meaningful, and authentic way are the most liked brands. So having a positive outlook, I think, is key. But I think desire, appeal, kudos, stature, confidence, control are all emotional states that B2B buyers and decision makers are either consciously or subconsciously influenced by. Um, And on the flip of that, you've got, you know, fear, which is another powerful emotion. And that is, you know, prevalent in the buyer journey, specific for B2B. So you've got fear of missing out, the whole kind of FOMO thing. You've got fear of being irrelevant as as a brand or even as a marketeer. You've got fear of making the wrong decision. You know, the whole loss aversion bias that Rory Sutherland talks about. Um, So my take is it's more about the feeling that I'm trying to induce in a prospect rather than just an emotion. And I think feelings have a greater context, but they're both sides, both the same side of the coin. So, for example, if the feeling I want to create is, how do I make a prospect feel 10 feet tall? Yeah. What emotional triggers do I need to use to induce that feeling? And there's a, there's a brilliant tool by a, a famous psychologist called Robert Plutchik, and he has this wheel of emotion. And on this wheel of emotion, you've got all the main eight states and all these sub-emotions. And they're actually it's just a really good planning tool to be able to think about how you kind of build that emotional and feeling-based connection. But like from what you're saying, it's definitely about invoking the feeling rather than talking about the feeling, right? You know, from the point of view of when we're, when we're creating the content, we often talk about show, don't tell. Yeah, it's the subtlety of marketing. Obviously, you know, we're not in a market stall. Do you know what I mean? And we're not just shouting out, yeah, we're really cool. You can be cool too. Come and buy our product. You know, you've got to earn the right to talk about products. You've got to influence and persuade people. All the, the usual rules of B2C marketing that, you know, we have this kind of conversation about, are they applicable to B2B, etc. There's a lot of really good stuff that B2C have done in their journey that we're absolutely leveraging, which are really powerful ways to do that. You know, the power of word. Video is a fairly new medium in, in the world of B2B. And so for the first time ever, you know, we're able to convey emotion through the power of video and words and music. And, you know, we've only just touched the surface as far as I'm concerned. And so with um, the book, you know, the whole kind of concept of, of humanising B2B, humanising with a Z, listener, uh, if, you want, if you want to look up, if you, if you want to find yeah, the book. With a Z, trying to capture the American market, that's right. <laughs> Quite right, too. Um, so, so what does that actually look like in practice? What does a more human approach to B2B marketing or B2B content look like? Yeah, so I think it's important to say that when I talk about humanising B2B, at its heart, I see it as a modern-day philosophy 
that actually promotes the human side of marketing as much as the functional side. So we're not trying to take away all the good stuff the B2B is known for. We're just I'm trying to add something to it. Um, and most B2B brands are built on this single dimension of, of what I call competency. For example, you, know, you make a good product, you scale it, you use automation tools, you're operationally savvy, you build a demand engine and so forth. And all this comes with the territory of being professional, talking in jargon, using the colour blue, being ordinary, looking like everybody else in your category looks. And hopefully, if you get all that right, you can be the trusted advisor. And all that stuff is so cookie-cutter, playbook-driven, you know, every brand in every category, you know, most of the companies look and feel and talk the same way. And so it's definitely lost its edge. And I think that when I talk about the dimension of likability, as well as the dimension of competency, and I don't mean likability as it relates to people, there's lots of conversation and narrative about that. I'm talking about likability in the absence of people. So as you mentioned, through your brand, your content, your emails, your website, and so forth, the language, the way you speak, the way you come across, all those things are incredibly important. And that is this digital likability. And that to me is where the game is won and lost. And with so many buyers, you know, whether they're 60%, 70%, 80%, or 90% through the buying cycle before they speak to a sales rep or, or some form of expert, the opportunity, therefore, to influence people is absolutely huge. And most brands don't do anything. They still do the tired old, same old, same old stuff. They're not thinking about how to influence people in that digital journey from an emotional point of view. And I think that's why B2B is an incredibly exciting place to be right now. So if the listener is you know, listening to you nodding away, thinking, great, you know, I could definitely want to take a step into this territory with my brand, with my content, what kind of tips could you give them to make their content more emotional what could, or more human? What can they kind of practically do? And how can they sell that to their stakeholders too? I'd look, first of all, at what other B2B brands are doing, not necessarily in your category, but generally which of the brands out there that have taken the decision to try and put a bit more emotion into their brand. Um, I would also say that I think most B2B agencies are just aching to do more interesting, more creative, more imaginative stuff. You've got to take some calculated risks. You know, we are marketeers. You know, at the end of the day, we have to balance the kind of the demand engine bit with actually kind of pushing our business and our brands forward. So there needs to be some kind of calculated risk that, that goes with it all. Um, and, you know, we did a campaign for SagePay last year and it was, it was incredibly difficult to understand the the way that the marketing team had been set up and the way they conventionally done things. And we had to really shift their mindset to kind of take a very subtle emotional approach with this campaign called Your Business, Your Baby. But seven months after the campaign had ran, we had literally doubled all the marketing KPIs that they'd done the previous year. Yeah, so there's proof that this stuff works from just a marketing KPI point of view. But again, we did a campaign for KPMG where the, where the ask of us as an agency was, how do we develop the emotion in our campaign? And we did this, you know, it was a pretty big content piece. It was a, a million pound investment that KPMG spent, but they saw a 58 million pound return of closed business opportunity off the back of this Changing Futures campaign. And so if you need a reason to go and tell your commercial stakeholders why you want to kind of experiment and push is because 
the growth metrics, you know, increased order value, increased lifetime value, increased margins and so forth are there to be had for the people brave enough to go and make a decision to push on this door. Um, and the book is full of examples of these facts and data points and, and everything else. You mentioned um, to kind of look at people maybe in other parts of B2B that are doing it well and kind of taking um, inspiration from them um apart from the couple that you you've mentioned are there is there anyone else in the space that you kind of see and go yeah they're they're doing it well you could you you could take some inspiration there i would say that i've always looked at sap so from an enterprise point of view i think sap have always done a really good job of being able to humanize what they do they made a decision to use consumer tactics like employing clive owen as being almost like that character and ambassador for their brand and being able to use him to narrate their story and build that kind of familiarity and likability. Um, I know that Hewlett Packard have used um, Christian Slater um, again with this Wolf campaign. So again, very B2C tactics driven in B2B, but on a lower scale, we've worked with brands like Crowdcube, who I think have taken this whole humanizing um, notion brilliantly well. And again, we've seen significant business results off the back of it. Um, but there is a, there's a brilliant um, commercial that's on YouTube for um, a company called Waze, W-A-Z-E, which is uh, using these, um, what are the inflatable kind of um, signpost dolls that, you know, signpost things across America. And it's just, it's hilarious. It's a brilliant piece of storytelling. It gets the message across in a really interesting, engaging way. Um, so I think there's loads of good stuff happening in different pockets and, I guess he's just trying to make it more mainstream. I think that's the journey we're on as B2B marketeers is just for this not to be on the fringes anymore, but to be more mainstream. And the more we see, the more we experiment, the more data points say this stuff works, the more it will happen. So why do you think this is so relevant right now? It certainly seems that it's having a, a moment. Why do you think it is? So you're absolutely right, David. It is having a moment. I think B2B marketing is, in its modern form is on an incredible learning curve. We are 50 years behind B2C in terms of leveraging emotion and positioning brands beyond the functional nature of what they do. But the good news is we're catching up fast. You know, um, emotion is catching people's attention. It feels like there's a bit of a perfect storm of opportunity, which is brewing. And I say that because I think, you know, customers are less loyal than ever. The pandemic has mean people are more open-minded to exploring different vendors, etc. I think marketeers are fed up of doing same old, same old. That kind of speeds and feeds marketing, so they're crying out for some kind of change. You know, they're also fed up of chasing technology or product differentiators as as strategy. You know, what I mean, when actually it's easier sometimes to differentiate emotionally. I think grabbing, keeping people's attention is harder than it's ever been. And we talk about storytelling being something new, but storytellers have got to compete with storytellers these days. It's incredibly difficult. It's not just about telling a story. You've got to tell a bloody good story. Um, I think, you know, business buyers and decision makers have generally become a bit more compassionate. I think we've seen, you know, the millennial buyer um, and definitely as we see senior buyers eke past the age of 40, we tend to be more value-driven, less about ourselves, more conscious about the planet and family and life and all those kind of things like that. And and finally, you know, alongside the fact that COVID has jolted people's thinking and this fear of being irrelevant in a post-pandemic world is actually scaring people into wanting to look at their brand and 
do things differently. We've also got all this amazing research from like Bennett and Field and the B2B LinkedIn Institute that actually putting some numbers and metrics down in all. So I think you put all that stuff into the mixer and actually it feels like there's real momentum and that moment is kind of happening. Um, if the listener wants to find out more, they want to get in touch with you and ask you stuff, they want to buy the book, where can they do things like that? So the book is available on Amazon and all good bookstores. So I can't get enough, I can't get enough for saying that. That's kind of my little thing. <laughs> it really is. Like you're actually in shops and things. Exactly. And uh, if £16 is too much, you can get the Kindle version for a bargain-busting 99p. Um, you can track me down on LinkedIn. You can go to the agency website, which is roosterpunk.com. There is a specific humanizingb2b.com website. Uh, and if you're waiting for the audio book, because I'm a big audio fan, that's probably another nine months away, I'm afraid. Um, <laughs> or connect with me on LinkedIn. There's loads of places to find me. Thank you, Paul. You've given us a lot to think about there. And the book plug was expertly done, I must say. We'll include a link to it in the show notes for you. Um, Barbara, I know you're a big advocate of using emotions in B2B. So what stood out there for you? I think for me, uh, listening to Paul, it really resonated. You know, very often when we're communicating with our B2B potential customers or customers, we tend to see a job title and see that first and foremost. And actually, these are, we're all just human beings. Mm-hmm. You know, we're, we're all having needs. We don't differentiate ourselves. We don't take off one cap and put on another at different moments. So we are irrational. We are emotional people. It doesn't, you know, even people in procurement, that's what they are. They're emotional. We might not always think that, but they are. And I think the reality is we very much have to work out what type of mission that they're on, how we can support them and what is the way they want to be supported or do they want encouragement? Do they want support? And understanding that will help us understand how we are best partnering with them with with B2B and digital it's got so complex we've got so many buzzwords now and I think for a lot of people they're still clinging to the past and digital is scary you know it they have this fear that digital stops the relationships that were so valuable Mm. you know they think that sales reps are going to be eradicated because of you know automation and digital channels Sales reps will always be needed. They are incredibly valuable. Mm -hmm. You basically need to focus on crafting the messaging that you can automate in the moments that should be service messaging and let the sales reps, let the salespeople who are incredibly good at developing relationships be in those moments that really matter at driving deeper relationships and understanding how to add value to the customer that for me, that's the the opportunity for B2B marketing. And that was the overriding message the whole way, you know, listening to Paul, it was like, yes, you know, <laughs> finally, I'm hearing the magic words. Absolutely. So do you think, I mean, obviously, I mean, the, the buying journey in B2B, you know, if you want to call it that, has been changing Quite a bit, you know, people have been saying for a long time, people are doing more and more and more of their research before they engage with a, a salesperson. And I guess, you know, COVID has probably kicked that percentage even higher, you know, because you, you can't go out to events and, and, and meet people and things. So um, although, of course, a lot of the time people will 
buy a product because they like the salesperson and the salesperson recommended it and that's the end of it. Um, but do you think there's an extent to which content is taking over some of the lifting as far as kind of that rapport building or not so much? I think content has such a, an important role. I think what content allows us to do is start having a conversation earlier and start really making sure that what we have to offer and what solutions we can provide our customers with, they're, they're able to do some of the research beforehand. There is nothing worse than when you're at the start of a, a potential journey, when you're doing the awareness and consideration and suddenly someone is telling you the solution when you haven't worked out what the problem is. For me, <laughs> you know, content is the opportunity for whenever I'm being a, a B2B buyer I'm having to work out exactly what I need, not what someone's telling me I need and what someone's gadgets and gizmos and features are telling me, but what is the best resolution? And for me, I always go to referrals. I always go and ask people who I know are have had the similar problem or I get on and into Google fast and I want to read articles. I want to read the features and functionality and I want to read their blog, people's blogs and understand how they're helping customers just like me solve problems. So for me, it's giving me my automation process that I don't and unwilling to speak to a salesperson at that moment. I don't want to have a demo. I want to just do the research when I'm ready and I'm shortlisted. Then I want to have a demo. But don't try and sell to me before I'm ready. And content mm. is perfect for doing the pre-sale. And that shortlisting process um that's maybe is it fair to say that's maybe in b2b a bit less rational than people give it credit for like a lot of that's down to how you feel about the company right how you feel about the brand absolutely i mean i think a lot of times we forget how much brand purpose actually plays in in all of this especially in b2b you know brand purpose is very very important in cx and in marketing and the reality is sometimes you have a gut feeling about a brand or a, a product or a service and it's not rational, but that gut feeling is dictating and you, it's not price led. It's not. I have made some decisions where I was like, I really don't know why I made that decision, but it felt right at the time. Mm. And these are not small decisions and these are B2B uh, purchases on, on a grand scale. So for me, you know, we have to understand that people, when they are coming to consider your solution for what they need, they don't always understand it. So don't go and do lots of focus groups and don't spend lots of time asking people why they do things and then replicating content for that. What you need to do is understand what's the job to be done. What are the products and features that they really need, not what you want to sell? And help them understand how your solution solves their problem via testimonials. To me, I don't understand why everybody runs away from testimonials. I'm like, get them out there. Let mm -hmm. everybody see how you solve it. Yeah, absolutely. Because a lot of it is, you know, testimonials. You've kind of got the, the social proof. It's a lot about helping people to feel comfortable and to feel safe a lot of the time in, in B2B. I mean, you're a... Um, a, a big fan of behavioral economics. I, I, I know, and you kind of gave a, um, a really good webinar uh, with Steve Kemish on, um, on Propolis. Um, 
And, you know, that plays into that, doesn't it? The kind of the different ways that people make decisions and, you know, whether you make a slow decision or whether you make a, a snap decision. And actually, a lot of the time in B2B, we might assume it's one, but really it's it's the other, right? Absolutely. It's so easy to get stuck in making assumptions about how people purchase your products. And I think that is so true in B2B. It's even true in B2C. You know, let's be honest. We dictate, we create these journeys and say, this is how someone exactly behaves. And it's not there. There are so many intricacies and, you know, from how we behave what people forget very frequently, which I, I love, is as soon as you purchase something, there's social permissibility. You are now at risk of making the wrong decision. So you are actually naturally trying to do a natural referral program with anybody else that you can, <laughs> because the more people that you can sell this exact same product to, it means you were right. <laughs> yes. So we we actually are at our highest advocacy and referral as soon as you handed money over, not mm. once you've got the product, you're actually in a risk pattern and you want to take that risk away from you. So you want to diversify the risk, which nobody uses referrals straight away. Mm. It's hard. You know? Yeah. And because I suppose the features and benefits, I mean, they have their, their role to play. But again, it's almost post-rationalization, right? I, you know, there's always this thing that the the heart is the Oval Office and the head is the press office. And so like, you kind of made your mind up. And then you kind of have to justify the decision that kind of you've already made to yourself or to your, uh, you know, to to your buying unit Um, and, you know, to the rest of your organization in in, in B2B. And I I think it's, you know, it has a lot more in common with, oh, I bought this more expensive car because they're more reliable. That's a better known brand, you know, or something like that, rather than just, I wanted one. Yeah. You know, but but I think a lot of the time it's the it's the same thing in in B two B. It's in um, thinking fast and slow, right? Um, you know, it's kind of type one and type two decision making. Is that right? Absolutely. I mean, a lot of people, you know. We don't know why we think certain things. Now, there aren't many decisions that are absolutely set in stone that, you know, there are very few, especially when it comes to purchases, that you will not change. You know, there these are big decisions that impact who you are at, at your absolute core. The rest you're actually making up why you've done a lot of it. I've spent a lot of time doing focus groups, which I find highly entertaining when someone, and I remember a very long time ago doing for Aldi, understanding new crisp variants. And I literally sat in a room listening to people post-rationalise why they buy crisps. And I was just like, this is crazy. You walk down an aisle, that is like mm-hmm. the bright, like, come on. Like there wasn't that much to this. You and I think from that moment on, I was like, we as human beings, some we don't always know why we make decisions. A lot of our decisions can be flipped incredibly fast. And we can do a huge amount of research. We can absolutely be believing that we have the right solution. And then suddenly, either one, someone can influence us or somebody can just land with an incredibly simple valuable value proposition in the last moments 
and convert us at rapid pace. And I think everybody's experienced that where suddenly you're almost at the purchasing and you put something down and lift something up really fast and then walk. Mm. And that's it. That's it on a tiny little scale where it's just the, oh, oh, up there I go. And I think a lot of times it's everybody with behavioral economics, I'm really interested in the facts that behavioral economics and CX are fascinating because everybody's trying to manage and own the whole journey. You know, let's plot out the whole journey. Let's let's own all these key moments of truth. And I don't worry about all the key moments. There's actually probably two or three that are actually the key moments. Work out what they are and be in those moments. Be in those moments, spend your money where your competitors spreading themselves too thin and you can hijack the brain and get it to make you as the last decision because it's usually the first and the last are the pieces. All the stuff in between, you can change your mind incredibly rationally. So in a B2B buying process, what would that look like? Oh, now you're asking me the the big questions. (laughs) I think it's making sure a lot of times when we create content for websites and looking at the sales reps and the um, full, you know, onboarding stage as well, we ensure we spend so much time in that top of funnel. But as we're coming down, we get lesser and lesser content and less pointed less sticky we'll just start throwing blogs in uh, we might do a white paper but actually it's that bottom funnel uh, that's the real key spend your time thinking about what content do they need in the tiniest of bite sizes and what are the messages that they need at that final moment what can you tell them that's better about the services or the products Oh, what's going to solve their problems more in those moments? Because that's that's the key magic, the absolute top awareness. And for me, bottom funnel, getting those exactly right, focused on what their actual needs are, what their expectations are. Show them in those moments how easy the onboarding is, because that's usually the biggest fear. Whoever's buying it is nervous that whoever's going to use it isn't going to use it. And um, so show from testimonials from users, not from buyers at that moment. Show how easy it. Tell them that the onboarding was automated and it only took X amount of time and it saved X amount of money and then show someone who actually went through the onboarding. I think very often we keep talking about ourselves instead of showing our customers people just like them and how they and why they made those decisions. Before we finish this month's episode, it's time for our copywriting tip of the month. This time it's from Radix consultant writer, the last month's guest co-host, George Reith. Copywriting tip of the month! My name's George. I'm a senior copywriter and consultant at Radix. And my favourite copywriting tip is to keep a running record of phrases that you use a lot in your copy. Uh, Whether you choose to do that on a piece of paper, digitally, or on lots of post-it notes stuck to your monitor and desk, I find having that list of phrases you use a lot means you can avoid using them too much. I find that helps me keep my copy a bit more varied. Copywriting tip of the month! Thanks, George. If there's anybody that I would take advice from on how not to be boring, it's you. Uh, Barbara, does that one resonate with you? Honestly, I love it. I mean, I'm going to start doing it and actually understand what my buzzwords are, because I'm sure my clients are going mad with the amount of times I say 
certain words that I'm not aware of. So thank you very much, George. I'm going <laughs> to let you know how I get on. <laughs> I want to know what's on your list. <laughs> oh, I'm scared. I'm scared. <laughs> Uh, I'm afraid that is about all we have time for this month. Now, listener, it might not have escaped your attention that next time is our 100th episode. And I have to tell you, it is going to be all change. We have a slightly new format coming, a shorter running time and a new name for the podcast. So look out for that. We will still have great guests. I mean, we're starting with Doug Kessler next time. Uh, and we'll keep the same focus on helping you get the most out of your B2B content. So if you're a subscriber and you see a new B2B content podcast appear in September, don't worry. It's just us. Just a new name and a new theme tune. Uh, I really can't wait for you to hear it. Before then, though, Barbara, could you thank our contributors this episode and also remind the listener where they can get in touch? Of course. Thanks again to Paul Cash for helping us put the human back into B2B. And thanks, George, for that wonderful copywriting tip. But most importantly, thank you, the listener, for joining us. It's been a lot of fun. And don't forget, if you'd like to contact the show, you can do that on email. Podcast at radix-communications.com or on Twitter at Radixcom. That's R-A-D-I-X-C-O-M. And if you're listening on Apple Podcasts, our review would be marvellous. And thank you, Barbara, for co-hosting. I do hope you've enjoyed it. Has it been all right? It's been wonderful. Oh, that's oh it's kind been so of you. much fun. Oh, that's kind of you. Uh, listener, we'll see you next time with a fresh new format, uh, new name, and Doug Kessler. Uh, but until then, remember, science has discovered 27 distinct human emotions, but nobody has ever experienced the desire to enable website notifications. Bye! Bye. <laughs>